everybody, and welcome to Richard's Radio Adventures. My name is Richard, KB5JBV, and I am the host of this thing that we call the show. Now, I know sometimes I'm a little full of myself, and I, I do tend to think this is one of the most fantastic show out there, but that's because I'm full of myself, and it is actually the most fantastic show out there so y'all remember that as we move forward alrighty so it's been a couple weeks we're coming down we are steadily heading down the de- to the deadline of restarting resonant frequency of the amateur radio podcast yay but we're running into an issue or at least I'm running into an issue because I'm starting to think about the, all the stuff we need to do to get that going again Whereas this show is pretty easy to produce, put together, that kind of stuff, because y'all can tell by the way it sounds. Uh, (laughs) Resonant Frequency is a much larger production, and keeping it on a two-week schedule was difficult in the past and will be difficult in the future. When I did have staff, or at least people, to help me, in the production. So if any of y'all would be interested in working behind the scenes at Resonant Frequency, the amateur radio podcast when we restart it, please let me know. I mean, it's not anything big, but if you take a bunch of little things, and you know, it's kind of like a, kind of like fat girls in a car going down a highway. You know, you, you're pretty good when you got one, but when you got five, whoop. You need a one-ton pickup to carry that kind of that kind of uh, feminine pultritude. Let's put it that way. Alrighty, so this let's see. This last two weeks, we've been exposed to COVID twice. Um, let's see what else. Uh, no break-ins. That's been good. Things have actually been pretty good. I did go to a club meeting down at uh, Cedar Creek Lake. About thir- no, it was Canton. Canton, Texas, about 30 miles away from where I'm living at this time. And we had a pretty good meeting there, and everything went pretty well. But on the way back, I blew a hose on our rickety old, uh, well, I call it the improbable, our uh, minivan, which we've had for, well, it was two years old when we got it, and we've had it 12 or 13 years. So, yes, she is needing a little love from time to time. However, I didn't wasn't able to call for help on the radio, but I have been able to check out my radios, my handhelds. Uh, I have an antenna on the van now, and I've been using my radio on the desk as a remote uh, kind of a crossband repeater, and I find that I have pretty good coverage that way. I can get into it pretty well with a handheld from uh, a pretty good ways off, and... I can use it to get myself into most of the repeaters that are accessible from this county, which uh, sadly are all outside this county. Uh, We're working on a plan to get a repeater up here in this county. And quite honestly, I looked up one of my old repeater gurus, or one of my old Elmers, uh, Andy, uh, WY5V, he has a quite prestigious record and really knows his stuff. And quite honestly, I think what we're going to do is put together an impromptu machine uh, and run split run uh, split sight. Now, for those of y'all who don't know what that means, 
you have a receiver on one side at one side you have the transmitter at another side and you link them via rf or telephone lines or something like that it eliminates the need for duplexer so if we're able to make this happen that means that we will have one radio in one location one radio in another location we plan on the uh, repeater being vhf initially and um what we'll we'll end up doing is having uh radio at one play at one site, having another radio a few miles away, and linking them via RF. So if we're a VHF machine, we will link them on four forty. We will I will try and keep y'all updated on what we're doing there. Remember guys, the uh stuff that you can do in amateur radio is only limited by what you are able to think up. If you can't think it up, then you can't do it. If you can think it up, there's a way. But until then, we're doing our weekly information net on a uh, repeater in Van Zandt County, which um, it's starting to look like our demographic's going to be shifted more to the eastern side of the county, our western side of the county, and that means we're going to have to make other provisions. I'll keep y'all posted. Uh, let's see what else have we got. Well, we got the, we are looking for donations. <laughs> uh, we're trying to keep uh, everything commercial free. And sadly, that means I have to come in here and nag y'all. But we do have links on the website for PayPal. And think about becoming a Patreon. I mean, if you can afford 5 or $10 a month, you can sign up as a Patreon, and as we get that rolling better, and I need to spend some time on it, but as we get it rolling better, we're going to have stuff like we're going to have uh, special things for the Patreons. I'm doing my best to make sure I'm saving all the uh, uh, raw episodes before they're cut, having them after they're cut with no music, that kind of stuff, and we'll be adding that. I have found some files that were kind of outtakes from the original run of Resonant Frequency, the Amateur Radio Podcast, which I'm going to try and get on there for the Patreons as well. Uh, and not only that, we will mention you on the podcast. Hey, we also have a separate area for our Patreons over at the, uh, at the Discord server. There's a lot of stuff going on. It, you know, it's not gonna, I used to tell people, you know, send me a dollar if one of these episodes did you any uh, good, it'd be worth a dollar. You know, and at that time I was saying you can't buy a soda for a dollar and that was 10 years ago. So now, I mean, you sure can't get a Coke for a dollar. Well, except at McDonald's. That was not an advertisement, by the way. So. Y'all think about uh, throwing something in the kitty and uh, helping us get things back up and running. And I'm I'm serious. Uh, as far as help, we are going to need help. Y'all can't record it. Oh, well, you're good. But y'all can't record it. It's going to take me and the research I do myself. The only things that I really worry too much about is or am worrying too much about going into this is that I need a little help getting the shows posted to the website or the uh, social media and websites and stuff like that when they come out. I need someone to help by doing show notes. 
which is not hard. Just listen to the show and type the important stuff in, give people some idea of what's going on, and uh, a few other things. If you're interested in doing that, please uh, send me an email at kb5jbv, and we will figure out how you can help and be a part. Just like uh, Bill was, KA9WKA, he had his own little profile over on the website when he was doing show notes for us. And if you're listening, Bill, we sure do miss you, man. <laughs> Norman talks about you all the time. So with that, uh, let's go ahead and move on into uh, go ahead and move on to our subject for this time. And you know we're doing a series on propagation right now. So y'all hang loose just a minute and let me go ahead and uh, get that going. Okay, everybody, and welcome to Basic Propagation Part Two. Okay, last week we talked about the three kinds of propagations, line of sight, ground wave, and sky wave, and we discussed that a little bit. And this week, one of the biggest problems I'm seeing is that uh, a lot of guys just want to plug in a radio and throw up an antenna and talk to the world. Well, yeah, you got your license because you want to do stuff like that. And there are ways to talk to the world without actually doing it over the air, but then again... Uh, what's the point? You can use your cell phone. You know, that's the way I feel about it, even though I do own three hotspots and two DMR radios. Come think of it, I have a couple of D-Star radios as well, and one of them's got enough power to get to the closest D-Star repeater. The thing about it is, a lot of the guys, y'all, y'all go ahead, y'all don't stay at technician, y'all move to general, so you can get some HF privileges. You want to get down there and talk to some people and see how things happen. Collect a few QSL cards, maybe uh, do really well in a contest or whatever. But the problem is, right now, we're, the cycle is still kind of low, the solar cycle. It, it'll gradually ramp up over the next few years and then ramp back down. It does that. 11 years, man. Uh, up and then back down. So a lot of these guys are getting frustrated because... They're not able to talk to, say, South America or Japan or Australia. And I keep telling these guys, when the cycle's at its peak on 10 meters, you hear nothing but California for about two hours in the afternoon. Then you hear Hawaii. And then you hear the Japanese guys. Now, the Japanese guys... They get closer and closer to lunchtime as the cycle goes up. Same way with California. Florida. Florida's a big one here. Uh, you know, we're like, get a map out, look, see where Texas is. You'll, you'll see what I'm talking about. But with the cycle down, not so much. And even further down on the lower bands, 40, 75, there's issues down there when the cycle is down. And some of them get worse. As the cycle comes up, and some of them get better as the cycle comes up. So let's stop and talk about step number two. We depend on, and we're talking about uh, skyway propagation this time. So we depend for long distance communication on the ionosphere. Now, the ionosphere is a level of ionized. Uh, there's ionized particles just above the atmosphere and partially in the atmosphere, but 
these ionized layers, when they become ionized, they become radio reflective, except in the case of one, and it's kind of the opposite effect. So let's start with the one everybody wants to know about. Yeah, we're going to get on 10 meters. All righty. So in the case of 10 meters, we're talking about the highest level, highest layers, and I say layers, it's actually one layer that splits into two layers, if you can figure that out. I am not a physicist, alrighty, but we're going to give this a shot. Now, these two layers are the uh, F layer. Now, the F layer is about 250 kilometers to 500 kilometers in altitude. It's a pretty good ways up there, and it's mostly ozone for the most part. So, the F layer... If you're working 15, 12, 20 meters, you're going to be kind of working with that. 20 meters is kind of weird. It's uh, It'll reflect off a lot more layers. Anyway, let's get back to it. So this F layer, it's up that high. And it tends to, when it's reaching maximum ionization or more ionization around midday, it starts off as a single layer uh, when the sun comes up. Around midday, it starts to separate. Now, these two layers separating really doesn't mean a whole lot, except for the fact that you're going to have, you don't have homogeneous uh, ionization in these layers, meaning that they're not completely ionized. There's more ionization, less ionization. And I know this is kind of hard for you new guys. What you really need to know is that the F layer is it can be responsible for uh, long-distance contacts all the way up into the VHF band. But that's where you're going to be working DX on 10 meters or even from here, California, on 10 meters because of one of these two layers. So uh, the next layer we need to talk about is the E layer. Now, in theory, the E layer, it's about 90 kilometers to 150 kilometers up uh, 56 to 93 miles above the earth but in most cases it should be useful from 5 megahertz to 20 megahertz during the day after the sun started heating it up and getting it ionized and that kind of thing however in reality the d layer which we'll talk about in a minute tends to absorb much of the energy of signals at these frequencies. So in the case of E-layer daytime propagation, you're only talking about 7 to 14 megahertz. And that would be, let's see, 7 is 75 meters and 14 is real close to 20 meters. And the problem is that because of the absorption during the day, you can have usable 40 and 75 but it's not going to be stellar, even at the best of times. At night, when this uh, D layer that we were talking about cools off, and uh, it doesn't absorb as much of the radio energy, then 40 and 75, a lot of times they're still wide open, uh, because the E layer will maintain some of its ionization through the night. And I have talked long distances, shortly before the sun comes up on 75 and 40 meters. The 160 meter band, you can even, when the E-layer is really happening, 
uh, get some outstanding contact via e-layer propagation. So the last one we're going to talk about, and yes, there's more exotic things and other things that do happen where the ionosphere is concerned, but we're trying to get this in a nutshell for to make it easy to begin with. So as we were talking about a while ago, the D-layer, this is a booger bear for us because it is counterproductive. The more ionization it gets, the more it absorbs the signals. So we're talking about um, the ionization layer D mostly hinders ionospheric propagation. It's the ionized layer closest to the surface of the Earth. It's only located about 37 to 62 miles above us, 60 kilometers to 100 kilometers if you're in Canada above the Earth. In the daytime, it forms under the sun's intense UV radiation. All these layers do, and constitutes a barrier preventing amateur radio signals from 40 and 75 and even 160 meters getting through. Luckily, from time to time, there'll be big holes in this ionization that you'll be able to work through. Meanwhile, r around 10 megahertz and above can get through this D-layer ionization. So when things are going good, when the solar cycle's up, everything's happening, 20 meters tends to stay good 24 hours a day. And I've seen that happen for weeks at a time. So now we've discussed these layers, and you may have to go back and listen again to try and understand it. And that's not everything that's involved with ionospheric propagation or skywave propagation. But that's the bare nuts and bolts of it at this point. There are a couple more things that we will bring up later uh, in future episodes. And I just want to, well, let's put it this way. The takeaway from all of this is that if you're one of those new guys, if you've just gotten your license, you've just upgraded to general so you can get on the lower bands, I know technicians have 10 meters, and I'll tell you right now, if all you have is a technician license, you might as well not even buy an HF rig right now, because it will be a couple of years before you're able to use 10 meters regularly to make contact. Now, I'm not dissuading you from buying this stuff. I know y'all want to get on there, but without a general class license, you're going to have a hard time actually communicating. Now, the thing about it is that right now, I have about five guys that have just got their licenses that are coming to me and saying, well, what about this? What about this? And I keep trying to tell them that 10 meters is probably not going to be open at this time. Because it depends on that F layer we were talking about. And without enough radiation coming from the sun, because the solar cycle is at a, well, it's not at its lowest point, but it is at a low. They're going to have trouble hearing. They're going to have higher noise levels. A lot of the new guys, uh, you're going to hook this stuff up and you're going to have high background noise levels or a high noise floor and that kind of stuff. And it doesn't mean that your antenna's bad or your radio's not working or whatever. What it means is that 
Without the solar energy to ionize the layers of this of the atmosphere, you're going to be picking up a lot of extra noise. I'll give you an example. There's been more than once that I've been sitting in the radio room and turned on HF rig and there was 20, 40, 60 over noise level on my HF rig. And I sat there, I just left it on while I was doing other things and, you know, parked it on a frequency on 10 meters or, or some other band and the noise level was so high. And then all of a sudden that noise level would drop to less than an S unit. And it's happened more than once. It would go from 60, 40, 20 over, boom, down to less than one S unit on the uh, meter on the radio and you could hear stations all over the band all over the band now i haven't worked 10 meters in a long time i don't know if guys are working uh working am up above 28 uh 28 what is that 28 500 and i don't know if there's still repeaters on the uh, fm portion of the band you know we ha used to have uh an fm repeater here i was talking in the uh, beginning of this particular uh, episode that this section is being done for, that we were talking about running split side VHF UHF out here in this county. Well, there was an FM repeater in Dallas, or well, Dallas and Fort Worth, that did the same thing. The tree, the uh, receiver was in Dallas, I believe, and the transmitter was in Fort Worth, and they were linked together on 70 centimeters, but don't be discouraged because this is going you it's going to depend on the atmosphere it's going to be depend on what the sun's doing now the way we can optimize this um and doggone looks like we might even come in on time on this episode but the way that we optimize optimize our situation is learn how to interpret the solar numbers the k index the a index that kind of stuff but even until you're able to do do some studying and do that there are well you can go over to the website at resonant frequency the amateur radio podcast and over in the sidebar you'll look and there's a little graphic there that will tell you that pretty much tells you what bands are going to be good? What bands are going to be bad at that particular point in time? Where did I get that? I don't remember where I got it, but you can go out there and look around, type in propagation, and you can find software that'll predict it for you. WWV, which we probably need to talk about WWV. In fact, let's do that because that's pertinent to this. Okay, WWV is run by the National Institute of Standards, and they transmit out of Boulder, Colorado, on, I think it's 2.5, 5, 10, 15, and 20 megahertz. And they're on the hour, on the uh, air, 24 hours a day. And you can get some of that solar information. There's a lot of information in those transmissions. But you can get some of that information from WWV. Where it's most important for you newer guys is that it's in Boulder, Colorado. 
it's transmitting on those frequencies and you can hear it in here in the US okay and you may be able to hear it just as good on all the HF bands on at some time and sometimes you won't hear it but maybe on one of the bands because that also tells you what the ionosphere is doing because the higher the frequency the closer y'all getting getting that uh, 10 meters. If you can hear WWV on uh, 20 megahertz, you may very well be able to make some 10 meter contact. But you, uh, 20 megahertz, you should be able to work 17, 20 meters. But this is stuff that we're still talking about. You're going to have to have a general license for. But as far as 10 meters is concerned, if WWV is really happening, then chances are the bands are open. And then you'll know that feeling of the noise level dropping all the way off really quick. There's another station as well, which is part of that system and run by the National Institute of Standards, which puts out the exact same broadcast at the exact same time. Um, all the information is kind of hooked together there. And that one is in Hawaii. But it's on the same frequencies, and sometimes when propagation is really good, you can hear both stations. So flip those radios over to uh, AM and start listening for WWV. If you're doing an antenna test, you think you're not hearing something, there's something going on with your receive on your radio, WWV, it's a lifesaver. And I didn't have to go through the situation. I guess this is where we do Richard's story time because we need to get on out of here. But I didn't have to figure that out after I got my ham license because I had a shortwave receiver when I was eight years old. I think I got it when I was eight years old. Old Halicrafter shortwave receiver. And on top of listening to international broadcasts, which is, you know, international radio stations, broadcast radio stations, so that I could hear about what was going on in other parts of the world, I would also swing over to WWV to see what I might be able to hear. Because you could pull it up, you would get the tones and the clock ticking and all this good stuff. And I knew where to find those stations years before I became an amateur radio operator. So go out there and try and learn a bit, a little bit about this and don't get frustrated if you think that your radio is not receiving properly, if there's an issue, if you're hearing heterodynes on there or woodpeckers or any of that stuff. And I really need to get that stuff in the glossary over here at the website. But if, you know, you're going to hear strange and odd noises, you may think you're listening to aliens. Um, I only find the aliens on local VHF repeaters, all right? So go out there and put some time in on this. Listen to your radio. Listen to how people operate when you can hear them because that's going to help you in the long run when you're finally able to start making them contact. So this is the end of our second uh Second installment in the propagation, the basic propagation series. I hope it's helped y'all out. I really do. So I just want to remind y'all, go on over to the website and try and drop a, a dollar or two in a kitty. 
that's going to help us uh, keep the lights on here and i was thinking about uh, the resonant frequency today i got enough episodes to get us through the first of the year and then i'm gonna have to spend some serious time doing research and everything else and getting y'all the quality show that resonant frequency always was so if you think you can help out you can spare a little bit of time you know this show runs about 30 minutes when i don't spend too much time talking resonant frequency had was it was planned to be a one hour show but a lot of times it went uh, i say resonant frequency lengths uh, there's been one or two times it really got close to two hours but that's okay all you have to do to do show notes is sit there and listen to the show and make some notes as far as research and other things you know it's like i said if y'all wanna if y'all wanna help please get in touch with me kb5jbv at gmail.com uh, resonant frequency has a page and a group over on facebook the other places you can reach me it'll just take me longer to get back to you because i don't check them as often is i don't check twitter for the most part unless somebody mentions me and there's a little thing up in the corner when i go to post the show but me we tumblr we're still on tumblr mastodon some of y'all may know about that and at the moment reddit but i'm fixing to chunk it if i don't start getting more positive than i've been getting because everything i've gotten from people over there is negative and there's a few other places we have videos on youtube and everything else best way to get a hold of me is email that's the fastest response right there or over on facebook because i do check that regularly all right i hope this has helped and I, we're going to move on. We, we've got to get dig through this old dry stuff first before we can uh, uh, really get on to the other stuff. So we will work on getting y'all another installment of Propagation Series next time. So with that, y'all go out. I hope you had a great Labor Day. Y'all go out, spend some time with your families. Try and make sure you visit your local amateur radio club because they're going to be they're going to be a, a resource that you can use. And there's probably some folks there that can help you with you if you have problems. Go out, spend some time with your family. You know, pat the kids on the head for me and tell them, tell them I'm waiting for them to get their license. And we'll see y'all next time. This is KB5JBV73. We gotta go. Share the precious time.